0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. And uh, help us today, Lord, to focus on your word, to concentrate on what you have us to learn. And we'll praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So there's a lot of things going on right now, and but for the, for this moment in time, we need to focus our hearts and minds on the Word of God, and allow God to speak to us. So take your Bibles with me this morning. Let's turn to Second Peter, chapter three. Thus far, um, we've answered three important questions surrounding the rapture of the church. First, we talked about what is the rapture of the church. And why is it important? And if you remember when we, when we studied that section, we talked about the different, uh, the different uh, principles or the different disciplines people have concerning the rapture. There is the pre-tribulation and the belief in mid-tribulation and the belief of post-tribulation. And we here at Berean Baptist Church, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture Of the church, and we cited scriptures uh, to support that because the Lord promised that we would not have to go through the tribulation, and so we cited that. Then the second question we answered is who will be a part of the rapture of the church? Uh, That remember the scripture says there are many that will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in in Thy name, and in Thy name have done many works? And so, not everyone who expects to be in the ra- a part of the rapture will be a part of the rapture. Not everyone who expects to awaken in heaven will awaken in heaven. There are a lot of false teachings across this country. There are a lot of polluted doctrines that give people the impression that they're okay when they're not. And so, there is a there are a lot of people that believe in the rapture, and they believe they'll be a part of the rapture. But the Bible's very specific as to who will be a part of the rapture. Then, thirdly, we looked at what will be the results of the rapture of the church. If you remember, we looked at the results of the rapture on the world, on the unsaved world, and that is going to be unparalleled judgment. And we looked at the results of the rapture on the church. And that, we said, is going to be unparalleled blessings. And so we, we we looked at all of these um, things concerning the rapture of the church. And then uh, two weeks ago, we began answering the fourth question on how can we prepare for the rapture of the church. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'll begin reading at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away. So, I find this, these verses interesting. If you remember, uh, after the flood, God told Noah that never again would he destroy the earth by water. How is the earth going to be destroyed? By fire. And it's very interesting here. Peter says that the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So, the Earth is going to be destroyed by, by, by fire. Um, I watch, I, I think I've said this before, I enjoy watching science programs. I watch the Science Channel, and although uh, I, I laugh at most of what they say, because they're so far off, I still like science. I've always been a person interested in science, so I enjoy watching the programs, even though I don't, I don't believe their timelines and everything else. But they. They're always talking about eventually the earth is going to be struck by a comet or a meteor or something like that. And I I always say in my mind, you're absolutely right. They're positively right. Uh, You know, the Bible in in Revelation talks about the star, Wormwood. Right? You remember that? In Revelation, it talks about the star falling to earth. And and personally, I believe it's a comet. And I believe the earth will be struck by a comet and and there'll be massive destruction across the earth. Um I also believe there'll be nuclear holocaust across the earth during the during the tribulation period. Um, these things account for the fervent heat Peter's talking about. Now that's my opinion. You may disagree with me and if you do, that's fine. We can disagree. But I believe those things are going to transpire during the tribulation of the church of of, of the earth. And we won't be here. We'll be with the Lord in heaven. And remember, this earth is going to be completely destroyed. And God will create a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem. So all these things we see from Peter's writing. But in the middle of this, in verse 11, he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. So, the question then is, is how can we prepare for the rapture of the church? As we tarry, as we wait for, the, for Christ to come and rapture the church, how should we conduct ourselves? Uh, what manner of persons ought we to be? And we, we gave you some of these things already, and last time we met, I didn't finish, but number one, I said that we are to pray for the coming of, of the rapture, we're to pray for it every day. First Peter 4, 7, he states, but the end of all things is at hand. And then there he's talking about the rapture of the church. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer, or be, be serious about your Christian life. I really think people are just too careless when it comes to their Christian life. Um, as I observe, and, and and I've been I've been involved in the ministry for over three decades now, and as time transpired, I see and I notice our our, our Christian society becoming less and less disciplined and more and more careless in their Christian walk. Um, I think we've I think we've uh, I used to have a, a a little graph. I wish I still had it. I would teach my my classes with it, my my teenagers, and it was called a shock meter. And the shock meter shows how over time people are less and less shocked by sin, by by evil. Um, When I was just a boy, to where, I, to where I am now today, I'm, I'm amazed. Just, just on something like, like television. The things that are allowed on television today, when I was a boy, back in the 50s, were unheard of, were unthought of. Just to give you a, a brief example and I'll move on. We were, my wife and I was watching a commercial just recently, a subway commercial. And they had this sandwich, and it was loaded with meats, and it was loaded with cheese. I mean, they couldn't even close this sandwich. I told her, I said, I'd like to walk into any subway in this world and get that sandwich. You're not going to get that. What is that called? False advertising. You know, when I was a boy... If they'd advertise a sandwich like that, they better deliver it or the government would shut them down. They'd close them down. They wouldn't be allowed to continue in business because they were lying to people. And you couldn't lie to people on television. Did anybody ever see anybody lie on television nowadays? (laughs) All the time. Politicians do it every day. But We need to be serious about our Christian life. Uh, You know, when I got saved on November 29, 1981, I've never been the same since. Because I was amazed that God could love someone like me. And it changed my life. And I hope that you can say the same. I hope that you can say that the moment God came into your life and and saved you, that you've never been the same. You were touched by God, and you are now His child. And that means something to you. And we live our lives sober, serious about being a child of God. So So pray. Pray for His coming. Remember, I said prayer is the privilege of every believer And the one important thing I want you to remember, if you remember nothing else about privileges, is is this. Privileges, like freedoms, must be regularly exercised. If we don't exercise the privilege that we have of prayer, it'll become, it'll devalue it in our minds and it'll become unimportant to us and we won't care whether we pray or not. And prayer is a great privilege. You understand that through Christ you have the privilege of having immediate and and immediate audience with the Father of all things. So it's important. Uh, We said there were two elements to prayer that that, um, James talked about. One is that it is effectual. In other words, prayer serves a purpose. And that purpose is accomplished through prayer. Um, If you've never seen an answer to prayer, then I really feel sorry for you. Because if you've never seen an answer to prayer, it means you're not praying. Because my God, my Father, answers my prayers. Not always the answer I want. Not not always the answer I was hoping for. But he answers my prayers. Uh, I think probably all of you know now I got a new job. Praise the Lord. And I wasn't even looking for this job. Uh, This job came to me, It jumped right out at me, and uh, I I thought there's no way they're gonna hire me on this job, but I'll go ahead and apply for it anyway, and I did. The very next day, they called me in for an interview. Uh, I met with them for for about an hour, and before I got back home, they had already called for me to come back for another interview. So two days later, I went back, met with the director and the human resources director, sat with there and talked with them for 30 minutes. <clears throat> they asked me if I would step out in the hallway. I did. They called me back in within five minutes and offered me the job. I'd been praying. My, my wife and I had been praying for three years. I worked in Petaluma, and it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest of jobs in the world. But I thank God for it every day as I drove to work. I thank Him every day. Thank you, Lord, for this job. Thank you for the opportunity I have to Make the money I need to take care of my family. However, Lord, I would like to work someplace less stressful, and that would allow me to use the talents I have as help for helping people. But I praised Him and thanked Him and worked hard. I got to my job. I, I was the hardest worker there. I was never late. I never left early. Uh, I, I worked. I didn't I didn't take excessive breaks. I I took a short lunch every day, and out of nowhere, my prayers were answered by God. And by the way, my prayers were answered as I worked that job, as I would pray during the days, they would my prayers were answered. And But prayer is effectual. Let me just leave it at that. Prayer is for a purpose, and God answers prayers. And if you've never experienced answered prayers in your life, then you need to start praying. Because obviously, if God's never answered a prayer, then you're not praying. So it's effectual. But then secondly, James said prayer is fervent. It's impassioned. It consumes us. We're consumed consumed by, by, by the passions of praying. And, and we need to pray for the rapture. The reason a lot of Christians don't pray for the rapture is because they really don't want it to come. They're having too much fun on this earth. They're, they're enjoying their life too much. Now there are certain aspects of life I really enjoy. Uh, the main thing is my grandkids, and I love being with my grandkids. I, I often say, if I'd have known grandkids were this fun, I would have skipped having kids and just had grandkids. <laughs> but it's 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 wonderful. I was with them all day yesterday. We had so much fun. We were playing hide and seek in the house, and uh, I'd of course I'd hide real easy so they could find me. But then I'd of course and I'd I'd, I would, I'd always see them, but I would pretend I didn't and walk by. They had some, we had so much fun together. But it's that kind of passion that we need to have in our prayer life. We need to have a a passionate prayer life. Jesus had an impassioned prayer life, didn't he? Yes, and, and he's our example. So we need to have so. But then, secondly, we, we talked about planning for the arrival. Not only do we pray for his coming, but plan for its arrival. We're to live as if the rapture is going to take place in the next moment, because it just might. And we're not to be caught by surprise when it comes. We're not to be caught unaware. Uh, We need to expect it. And we need to anticipate it. Now what goes into planning? Real quickly, knowledge. Plans are built upon one's understanding. It requires knowledge of what you're doing. And knowledge is accomplished in two ways. First, study. We have to study. We need to be students of the word of God. You know, Wednesday night and, and, and Sunday school hour is not the only Bible study time a Christian should have. Matter of fact, Wednesday night and, and, and Sunday morning Sunday school should only whet your appetite for study. And, and you should go away and dig into the word of God and, 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 and dig deeply into the word of God. So Study. Uh, but then also sharing. We need to share what we learn. And this is accomplished in many ways. Uh, it can be accomplished by teaching a Sunday school class. You know, maybe maybe you would like to teach this class sometime. Or go to the pastor and ask him. You know, I, I only do this, there's only one reason I do this. And that's because the pastor has asked me to do it. I don't covet being behind this pulpit and teaching, I really don't. I mean, as a matter of fact, it scares me to death. Because I'm gonna to have to answer to God for every word I speak from behind this pulpit or that one. So, it's, it, it's, if you, if you desire to teach, go talk to the pastor and say, you know, I'd like to get in the rotation and maybe, maybe teach one Sunday morning in the Sunday school hour, maybe one a month. You know, and it, you know what? It would also benefit all of us, because we will hear the same things, but we hear them from a different perspective. You realize we're all unique, in that we all have different experiences, and and maybe you you have a, a perception of a scripture that I don't have, and when you present it to me, it's I go, wow, that's absolutely right, and so. You know, we need, to, we need to share the knowledge that God gives us. And, and certainly, even if you, you're not comfortable getting behind this pulpit, you need to share it with your children. One of the, one of the downfalls of, of the American family is the lack of, of time spent around the Word of God in the average American home. Kids don't... Parents, parents come home, yeah, I mean, you know, we're all busy. Many of you commute. I'm about to enter into that world. I don't know what to expect yet. But many of you commute, so you come home and it's late and, and you gotta hurry up and get dinner ready and you gotta get the kids bathed and to bed and, and, and you gotta catch Sports Center before you go to bed, right? You gotta get, you gotta get the latest news. You gotta catch, uh, you gotta catch all of these total access on the network and all of that. And what what falls by the wayside, usually what falls by the wayside is the Word of God. And day after day after day after day goes by and we don't speak to our children concerning the Word of God or God himself. And our children grow up not hating God, but just not knowing and not understanding. So we need to share. And then... We, we said that um, planning also takes commitment. Nothing can be done without commitment. Marriages fail without commitment. Families fall apart without commitment. And without commitment, our churches will fall apart as well. So we talked about these things, and then I ran out of time, which if I don't shut up, I'm going to do again today. So how do we prepare for the rapture of the church? We pray for its coming. We plan for its arrival. Then thirdly, on your study sheets, we preach about its certainty. I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse 15 with me. And we read here, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, As we've discussed for the past few lessons concerning the rapture, the rapture is certain. In fact, the rapture is the most certain event to come. People, you know, I, I see people worry about a lot of things. And, and, and I'm not standing up here and say I never fret or worry. I do. I'm, I'm human just like you. I'm flesh and blood. I have, I have lapses and, and I have moments where I worry. And, but I, I see people worry about a lot of things. But you know what I've, uh, what I've learned in my, in my life and in and, and dealing with Christian people? I've learned this. Most of the things people worry about never happen. Most of the things people worry about never happen. And so you spend all that time fretting and worrying for no for nothing. Um, I have a philosophy, and that is this: I don't worry about things I can't control. I, I I don't worry about the things I have no control over. And but I do I do pay attention to the things I can control. And because those are the things we can do to to affect the outcomes in our life. So, most people worry about things that never happen. But one thing is very certain, and it's going to take place. It may not take place in my lifetime, although I pray for it and I anticipate it. And that is the rapture of the church. I don't know when it will be. It could be tomorrow. It could be 30 years from now. It could be a thousand years from now. I, I don't know. But this, I do know. That Jesus is coming again. And the rapture will take place. So this we know. But there are those that scoff. There are those that, 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 that uh, doubt the truth of this. And it is our responsibility to proclaim this truth to a dark world. 2 Timothy chapter 4 Paul writes, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So we're to preach. We're to preach about the certainty of the rapture. We're to preach about the truth of it to to those uh, uh, around us. This morning, you and I are the light. It is we that will shine forth the truth of God's word. Paul, Paul tells us in First Thessalonians chapter 5, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. We're the light. Do you know this? The only light in your workplace might be you. Do You ever think of that? I worked for three years in, in a place in Petaluma that was one of the darkest places on earth. And you know, when I left, my last day there, my manager told me something that I just praised God. Because it 's all him, but she told me this she said dalton i 've always believed in God, but I never saw him work until I met you. You know how that made me feel I, I I mean my wife and I went through a lot the last three years work me working in that place, but I always I always shared my testimony with anyone who wanted to hear it. Now, of course, those of you who work in in the modern world understand we can't talk about spiritual things on the job. So when people would approach me about a spiritual question or something like that, I'd tell them, look, we can't talk about that right now. I'm going to take a break in 20 minutes. Meet me outside and we'll talk. But when little things would happen, I would always share... If I had a really good month, the manager would say, well, you had a great month. And I'd say, yeah, praise the Lord, because it was all God. He blessed me at every turn. And she would just kind of look at me, turn around and walk away. Share your, share your testimony. Be that light. Don't be afraid at work. I understand we can't preach at work, and, but don't be afraid to say the name of God at work. Be that light. When people at, at, at work would say things like OMG or, or, or call out the name of Jesus in a, in, a, in, a, in a mocking way, I would tell them, you ought not do that. And they'd say, why? I'd say, because you're taking the name of God in vain. Oh, I'm not cursing. You don't have to curse. I tell them this, God's name is so holy that we shouldn't even speak it unless it's to his praise and glory. And it got to the point where when they would do that, they'd look at me and say, Oh, I'm sorry. Be a testimony. Be a light. Shine in the darkness. Because there are people out there looking for the light. Not everybody, but some are. And let them see your light shine. In our homes, on our jobs, throughout our communities, we must shine. There was one girl, she'd come up to me every day and say, What's the word for today? And I'd always tell her, Well, Janelle, give me a minute and I'll think and I'll let you know. And I'd come back to her and I'd say things like contentment. And I'd use the scripture. Or I'd say uh, compassion. Or I'd say faith. Or confidence. Or hope. I'd give her a word. She asked me for a word. I'd give her one. It's like Peter said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be that light. Preach about the coming of the Lord. Give, give the truth about Scripture. But most importantly, live it. Don't just preach it, but live it. Be that person. Let them see your good works. And that, that will glorify God. There are those in this world that are searching for something to make their life more meaningful. Something to give their life Purpose And they try to fill this with things that cannot and do not satisfy. This past holiday season is a prime example of this. People try to find happiness and hope in things which cannot and do not satisfy the hungering soul. Exchanging gifts, going to parties, drinking, reveling. These are all vain attempts to fill the void in people's lives, a void which can only be filled by the Comforter, by the Holy Spirit of God. But in the end, they find themselves without direction and without hope. My wife received a Facebook from her sister. And in that Facebook post, her sister was complaining because she had bought all these gifts for people and no one, no one bought her anything to quote her good. My wife and I, we both laughed. But it's sad. It's sad. See, the world doesn't really know love. They really don't. The world only, only loves to get love. You understand that? They love to get love. But the Christian loves because we are loved. I don't need love from you. It's nice to have it. But I really don't need love from you because God loves me. And that's all I need. But because God loves me, I'm inspired to love you. And, you know, I've done a lot of marital counseling over the years, and sometimes a husband might tell me, well, I do all these things for my wife, and she does nothing for me. Well, why do you do those things for her? Are you doing things for her just so she'll do things for you? Or are you doing things for her because you love her? And because maybe she can't do things for you. So if she can't do things for you, are you going to stop doing things for her? Then you don't love her. You understand what I'm saying, people? We don't love to be loved. We love because we are loved. And you're loved with an everlasting love. A love that can never be taken away. A love that will never diminish. No matter what I do, no matter, no matter where I end up, the love of God will encompass me and will, will will take me in. And so it's easy for me to love because I've got the greatest example of love every day. And so I know how I should love. Because Jesus said we should love one another, even as the Father hath loved us. I don't even know where I am in my lesson anymore. <laughs> Oh, I know where I am. We're to, we're, we're to, these people are trying, the world is trying to find happiness. They're trying to fill the void in their life that can only be filled by the Holy Spirit, by the comforter. And they won't receive the comforter until they receive the Lord. And they won't, the Bible says, how should they call upon him in whom they have not heard? Whose responsibility is it to proclaim Christ? Is it is it the pastors from behind the pulpit? No, it's ours. It's each one of us in our daily lives. Over the years, Pastor, Wednesday night, he was talking about confrontational soul winning versus lifestyle evangelism. I told him, over the years, I've encountered people who will drive 35 miles to, to, to witness to someone and come back home because they weren't home. And I told him, they drove past... Thirty-five miles of sinners to try to find someone over there. Who do we witness to? Everyone we meet. Do you, do you understand? God will bring people into your lives that He wants you to witness to. Do you think it's a coincidence that you run into all kinds of people? No, it's the it's, it's the hand of God. He's putting He's putting these people in our path. So we're we're to we're to live our life. Uh, as people of hope, and we're to share that hope with all around us. Peter said, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the law of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Are we living, are you and I living with an expectation of His return? Or, or are we living our lives oblivious to, to the coming of Christ and we only remember it when we hear about it in church? That's the way most Christians are living. They forget all about the rapture. They forget all about the coming of Christ. Because they're so busy in their daily lives, they've forgotten the most important thing. And that takes me back to what I said earlier. We need to be serious about our Christian lives. We need to be serious, and we need to understand that the Lord is coming. Matthew 24. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give him meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. We're to preach about the certainty of the coming of the Lord. And by doing that, we will anticipate and await and expect. You know, my wife may bury me before the Lord comes again, before the rapture. She may bury me, but I'm, I won't miss the rapture. What did the Bible tell us? The dead in Christ shall rise first. I might be in the grave when the Lord comes in the clouds and calls for his people. But that's not going to stop me from being there. I'm going to be there. And we need to live our life in anticipation of the return of the Lord. And we need to teach our children about it. And we need to teach our relatives about it. And we need to teach our our friends about it. Men need to be aware that the Lord is coming again. All right, folks, while it's 10 till, I'm going to stop there. And uh, thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke, Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronit Park, California,